Voice of the Blue is brought to you by the American Police Hall of Fame in Titusville, Florida. Check them out at APHF.org. The Police Hall of Fame and the United States Law Enforcement Foundation, where bold vision and hope align to create a better tomorrow for all law enforcement and the communities they serve by strong advocacy, hard and soft skills training and education, and their many programs of compassion. To learn more, please go to uslef.org or aphf.org. Welcome to Voice of the Blue. I am Royce, your host, bringing you an intimate look at the men and women of the law enforcement profession through their service, their stories, their lives, and sometimes through their own words. Now, you know, usually I have a special guest that I like to interview, uh, a retired officer or maybe even one that's still on the beat. Um, there, uh, I'm going to take a little bit different approach today because I want I, I want to just speak to you from my heart about a few things. Uh, I first want to point out something that, um, I, like many of you have had good and bad interactions with police officers. Uh, some of the one, the bad ones that I've had have jaded me against that particular officer but certainly not against the entire profession. And the reason I'm bringing this out is because I, you know, I, I do a program about the second amendment and firearms called shooting straight. Many of you already know this and all of us in the second amendment community, we often complain about how, uh, all of us are denigrated by the actions of one person doing something unlawful or worse yet, stupid and foolish with a firearm. None of us like being painted with a broad brush simply because of the actions of the few. It kind of discourages me sometimes to hear some of my fellow keepers and bearers speak the way they do about law enforcement as a whole. And it's not a lot of them, but it's, it's certainly enough of them to warrant what I believed, uh, well, how should I say it, warrant this program. And the reason I'm doing this program, this particular episode, I should say, um, uh, I've had uh, dealings with at least four police officers that those people, that they infuriated me so bad that it was all I could do to keep from doing something really stupid and ending up in jail or worse yet, prison. Uh, some of these people were absolutely rude. They were belligerent and uh, certainly less than professional. And yes, I filed complaints on every one of them. But I cannot count at all the number of positive interactions I've had with law enforcement officers, law enforcement officials in general, uh, while I can conversely count my bad interactions on one hand. I really can. Now, Every officer that I've interviewed in this program has all stated and admitted 
that they know there's some bad apples within the profession and they do their best to weed them out. Some of them have talked about actually arresting some of their fellow officers who were crooked, who were doing things wrong. And so it's not like uh, it is often portrayed where it's a, a wall of silence, good old boy buddy system, and no one's going to rat the other out. I do understand that there are some departments across America that certainly could be painted as such. I do understand that. But I'm not going to disparage the entirety of the profession over the actions of the few. Any more than I would paint with a broad brush all the keepers and bearers out there when one maniac goes off the rails and shoots a lot of people, or worse yet, somebody uh, has an accident and kills a child or another human being. Uh, I'm not about to take that path. I'm going to tell you about an incident that I had this was back when I was, oh, I think 19, 18 or 19 years old. I was actually homeless at the time. I was living in my car. And I had just left a friend's house because they had graciously invited me over for pizza. They knew I was hungry. Uh, I was taking whatever little work I could find. I didn't care what it was. I just wanted work. I needed money. I needed to eat. I needed gas in my car. It wasn't the most comfortable car to sleep in. It was a 72 Plymouth Duster. I had actually had an issue with the water pump at one time uh, where uh, something had blown out of the top and I had stopped and whittled a peg to drive down in there knowing that when it would heat up, it would swell up and I wouldn't have the water pump leaking anymore. I was coming over the Melbourne Causeway and suddenly I'm watching my heat gauge start to rise and I knew that plug had come out and so I hit the accelerator, getting to the crest of the causeway so I could glide down as for as long as possible, put it in neutral and let it go down. I turned my heater on to make sure that I would draw some of the heat off the engine. And of course it broke me into a nice sweat. And next thing you know, I've got blue lights behind me and it was a Brevard County Sheriff. And I tell you what, I was already at a low point and suddenly I've got the cops behind me and I pulled over immediately and pulled over into the center median because there was somebody to my right. And I pulled into the median and um, I, he, put, he, asked, he comes up and, of course, asked for my driver's license. My driver's license was expired. And he asked me, where are you going in such a hurry? I said, well, um, I'm going to go home. And what I meant by that, I didn't say it right, but I, I was going to go to my dad's house and ask him for uh, a, a few dollars or something to eat or something. And, uh, he said, well, uh, is this your correct address? I said, no, sir, it's not. And, uh, talking about the address on my license. And I said, no, sir, it's not. He said, well, where are you, where do you live? I said, in, in this vehicle. He said, well, I thought you said you were going home. I said, well, uh, it's my dad's house and I'm, uh, it's still called home. And he says, I understand. And he says, uh, sit tight, will you? I said, well, can I get out? I want to see if I can find something. I know what the problem is. I'm losing water. Uh, my car was overheating. I explained to him what I was trying to do, crest down, you know, a coast down the hill in neutral because my engine was overheating. He said, sure, no problem. I got underneath there. I actually found another stick on the road and whittled it out, drove it into the thing. Um, and uh, he... Uh, comes back to me and I'm standing there and it's suddenly the weight of everything that I'd been going through for the past few weeks and months, uh, homeless and not knowing where my next meal was coming from, 
um, because I had divulged that to him. And uh, he, uh, I'm going to have a hard time talking about this without uh, getting a lump in my throat. But uh, he says, um, uh, he said, you know, you were doing, you know, it was like 75 miles an hour and that's a 45 mile an hour zone. I said, yes, sir. I understand. And he said, well, I'm not going to give you a ticket. You've got enough hard times already. And uh, I said, thank you so much. And, uh, he saw tears in my eyes when I thanked him and took my license back from him. What I didn't know was he was also handing me a $20 bill with my license. And, uh, I have never forgotten that. And that one act of kindness by that law enforcement officer has stayed with me forever. It really has. I, I, I look back at that night and I thanked God for that man. I wish I had ever had the chance to meet him again later when I was back on my feet so I could tell him thank you, but I never got that chance. And I don't know if you're listening out there, sir, you remember that little uh, long-haired goofball without a shirt and wearing corduroy pants that you pulled over in that blue 72 Plymouth Duster going over the Melbourne Causeway that night and you handed him 20 bucks. Well, that was me. And I, and I can't thank you enough. And that's why whenever I hear people just rip the profession blanketly, uh, it, it troubles me. It troubles me because we need that thin blue line here in society, regardless of the bad apples that have been found in it. It, Without the police, there is nothing but anarchy, people. And I'm, I've got two articles here I want to read to you to solidify this thought in your mind. And this first one is by a writer named Neil McFarquhar, I think is, is the correct pronunciation. And it's uh, an article out of Asheville, North Carolina. And the headline is literally this, why police have been quitting in droves in the last year. And I tell you what, just the article, just the headline alone is absolutely heartbreaking for me. And so here's the rest of the article. And it starts uh, as protests surged across the country last year over the death of George Floyd. Now this was published in June 24, 2021. At the hands of the Minneapolis police, Officer Lindsay C. Rose in Asheville, North Carolina, found her world capsized. Various friends and relatives had stopped speaking to her because she was a cop. During a protest in June around police headquarters, a demonstrator lobbed an explosive charge that set her pants on fire and scorched her legs. She was spit on. She was belittled. Members of the city's gay community, an inclusive clan that had welcomed her in when she first settled in Asheville, because she, she is a, a lesbian woman, stood near her at one event and chanted, all gay cops are traitors. By September, still deeply demoralized, despite taking several months off to recuperate, Officer Rose decided that she was done. She quit the police department and posted a sometimes bitter, sometimes nostalgic essay online that attracted thousands of readers throughout the city and beyond. She wrote, I'm walking away to exhale and inhale. I'm leaving because I don't have any more left in me right now. I'm drowning in this politically charged atmosphere of hate and destruction. Officer Rose was hardly alone. 
Thousands of police officers nationwide have headed for the exits in the past year. A survey of almost 200 police departments indicated that retirements were up by 45% and resignations rose by 18% in the year from April 2020 to April 2021 when compared with the previous 12 months, according to the Police Executive Research Forum, a Washington Policy Institute. New York City saw 2,600 officers retire in 2020 compared to 1,509 the year before. Resignations in Seattle increased to 123 from 34 and retirements to 96 from 43. Minneapolis, which had 912 uniformed officers in May 2019, is now down to 699. At the same time, many cities are contending with a rise in shootings and homicides. Chief David Zach, 58 years old, said that officers were pushed to quit because the protests were directed at them. They said, we have become the bad guys and we did not get into this to become the bad guys. Amen. A sense that the city itself did not back its police was a key reason for the departures, according to officers as well as police and city officials. Officers felt that they should have been praised rather than pilloried after struggling to contain chaotic protests. Low pay deepened the frustration. With a starting salary around $37,000 annually, few officers can afford houses in Asheville, where housing prices have sharply increased in recent years. Finally, officers said they were asked to handle too much. They were constantly thrown at tangled societal problems like mental health breakdowns or drug overdoses, they said, for which they were ill-equipped and then blamed when things went wrong. Officers who left said they endured a barrage of good riddance taunts on social media. One sergeant who quit after a decade on the force who did not want his name published because of the attacks online said last summer had chipped away at his professional pride and personal health. He could not sleep and he drank too much. In September, somebody dropped a coffin laden with dirt and manure at the front door of police headquarters. The message was taking a different turn, Chief Zach said. The message was not about police reform, but, quote, we endorse violence against police. Of the more than 80 officers who left, about half found different professions and other than the other half found different departments, Chief Zach said. New careers included construction, real estate, and pharmaceutical sales. Some officers decided that Asheville was the problem. Alec Dolman, age 30, a former Marine infantryman, could not afford a house in the city, and the rage directed at officers during the protests shocked his wife, who watched it live on Facebook. He took a police job in nearby Greenville, South Carolina, and bought a house. He stated, It's night and day. I cannot tell you how many times I'll be in uniform and someone comes up and shakes my hand, thanking me for what I do. People, you just grasp the poignancy of that scene. I'll continue with the article. The George Floyd protests in Asheville lasted just four or five nights far less than in other cities, yet many activists said they remain alarmed by the degree of force police used against demonstrators. Now, there's a salient point to be made here as I interrupt the reading of this article. 
these officers went out there and did their job and they shut the rioting down in four or five days and nights as opposed to months on end in the cities across America where the police were told to stand down. I can't help but think the people that were accusing them of too high a degree of force were expecting them to stand down too. And when they didn't, oh, suddenly they got their feelings hurt. Back to the article. Officers fired tear gas to disperse them. Well, that's what officers are trained to do. And they should expect that. Sorry for the interjection. City officials seemed torn about how to respond. At first, Chief Zach defended the officers, but later he apologized amid the subsequent uproar. People, you can't expect police officers to take it from both sides and still stay on the job, remain professional, and remain resolute and happy to fight the crime in that city. Back to the article. Mayor Esther Mannheimer dropped into one day uh, dropped into one daily police briefing, lauding the department's efforts. And the very next day, she publicly accused the police of mishandling events. Ms. Mannheimer, mayor since 2013, said in an interview that the city was facing a quote clash of cultures and that she had obviously not perfected her efforts to thread the needle, as she put it, of supporting law enforcement employees, but at the same time demanding and calling for needed change. Calls for defunding the police have continued with many Asheville residents saying the department's problems started long before last year's protest. Recruitment all over the country, given negative attitudes toward the police, has also become a slog prompting Asheville to approve a modest salary increase. It takes roughly a year to train new officers in Asheville, and of seven who started in December, six have already quit. To make do, the department has trimmed its services, even as shootings and other violent crimes escalated during the pandemic. The police received about 650 calls for shots fired last year, and there were 10 homicides compared with seven the year before. Aggravated assaults were also up. Um, I can't help but ask this rhetorical question. Why do you suppose that is? When the police have been hamstrung and neutered and denigrated from both sides above and below, how can we expect them to operate effectively and do the jobs we hired them to do and successfully fight violent crime in their cities? Um, I'm telling you, people, our police need our support. I understand there are issues. I understand there are bad apples. I understand some of these police officers need training in constitutional propriety. I understand that. But you don't force change by beginning to denigrate them from, uh, from the, you know, the comfort of your couch. Uh, and you don't get to, you don't make change and, and it's not positive change when their superiors are not standing up for them. They're not defending them. How can we expect them to successfully do the job we hired them to do? I mean, I'm sorry, but this is first chapter in the book of duh. 
I have one more article I want to read to you by Mike Lachance because that article was from 2021. This one is from July 8th, just a few days ago, 2023. It's a, like I said, article by Mike Lachance from the New York Post. The title of the, uh, of the uh, article is NYPD officers continue leaving the force in droves. They claim they're being squeezed on all sides. The exodus of officers out of the NYPD continues uninterrupted. These brave men and women in blue get grief from everyone. The people above them have demonized them, and bad apples in the public treat them as if they are fascists. Things in New York have never been perfect, but law and order really went haywire during the George Floyd riots and the COVID lockdowns. Suddenly, looting became a regular sight, and the police weren't allowed to do their jobs. People, I want to point this out one more time. Do you not see the correlative here? When the police are told to stand down, violent crime flourishes. When the police are allowed to do their job, and uh, it's not like do it uninhibited and break all the rules. I'm talking about working within the confines of the law and the Constitution, in which they do magnificently, for the most part. When they're able to do their job unhindered and unfettered, Violent crime stays down. The article continues, Is there any wonder why so many of them are leaving? Former NYPD Commissioner Keechant Sewell stepped down amid a steady stream of New York's finest beating her to the exits, according to troubling new data obtained by The Post. Through June 30th, 648 officers quit before retiring this year. Okay, catch that? NYPD has a pretty decent pension plan. These guys are quitting before their retirement. That's a 22% spike from 2021 uh, when 530 left and an 87% rise from 2020 when only 347 quit, NYPD pension data shows. The police union uh, made a comment. They said the concerning voluntary quits combined with NYPD recruiting problems leaves the 34,000 uniformed officers at least 1,200 short. They said also cops are being squeezed from every direction. They are working inhumane amounts of forced overtime. The brass is pushing for more enforcement while the police oversight complex is pushing to ruin more cops' careers. And that's a statement from the Police Benevolent Association president, Patrick Hendry, who represents just over 21,000 rank-and-file officers. He said many cops cannot afford to keep taking that risk because the pay is still too low. The NYPD will not be able to recruit its way out of this staffing emergency. It needs to make the job livable for the cops it already has. I brought all this out to make this very obvious point. Whether you agree with each and every single officer or each and every single interaction with police and the civilians or the citizenry, whether you agree with that or not, can we not agree that we need that blue line to stand between the people and anarchy? Because time after time, these two articles in particular bear this out. When the police have the foot or the boot of public opinion on the back of their neck, and they're not being supported by those above them who to their face support them and behind their back decry them, 
What do we expect to happen? Anarchy reigns. Violent crime goes up. And it it totally exemplifies the fact that without our police officers, we are at the mercy of anarchists for all intents and purposes. We're at the mercy of violent criminals, especially in places like New York and others that have uh, very strict gun control laws where people are not equipped to defend themselves very well. They rely upon the police. Well, it's kind of hard to rely on them when they're leaving in droves, even ahead of retirement, forsaking their pensions just to get out of the job. My friends, please join me in supporting our law enforcement officers. Even when you feel like they don't really deserve your particular support or when you have a beef with one in particular, let's stand up for them. Look, I defend my family through thick and thin. I have been at odds with some of my family members, even my wife, even my sisters. But you know what? You mess with my family and you mess with me. And you don't want to pull that tiger's tail. I guarantee you that. We need to do the same with our officers. Look, understand this. They are us. They are citizens just like you, just like me. We have put them through a winnowing process in order to take these jobs. We have put them through uh, uh, untold hours of training. We put them under the microscope. We entrust them with power, a lot of power. And when they step outside of that, we come down on them. But you know what? We chose them to serve. We need to support them. Whatever it takes, we must support them. Okay, if you have a beef with one, file a complaint. There, I mean, there has to be the oversight of the police. I understand that. I'm not saying let them run around unchecked. You don't give anybody unchecked power. But there needs to be that bond, once again, between the citizenry and our brothers and sisters in blue. I'd ask you to join me in a prayer for our fellow citizens on that thin blue line. Lord God Almighty, in the name of your Son, Jesus, we ask you to protect those who stand on that blue line. Let not this day be their end of watch, Lord. May you watch over them as they watch over us and keep your guiding hand upon them and bring them all home safely to their families. And Lord, fill them and endue them with a sense of purpose and pride. Not only that, Father, I ask that you that show us how we can show them our support. Amen. On behalf of the American Police Hall of Fame, myself and the producer, we thank you all for joining us on this episode of Voice of the Blue. God bless you all.